0: Are you wanting to get into filmmaking but just don't know how? Today, I'm sitting down with a good pal who's a filmmaker, podcast host, and adjunct professor to discuss just that, right here on Slasher Sports Cinema. They say that I have shed innocent blood. What's blood for, if not for shedding the one we all go a little mad sometimes. Oh, it knows I'm here! I'm having to get you, Barbara.
1: The slasher
0: Sports Show is Billy He's made over 30 short films and one feature, including his most recent film, the award-winning documentary House of Oddities, the story of the atrocity exhibition. He's the host of the podcast, The Cinema Psycho Show. I'm happy to welcome Brian Coddington. Brian, welcome. Hi, Billy. Thank you for having me
1: on. Glad to be here. Glad to talk about some movies with your movie. art of movie Absolutely, my
0: making. man. You uh, listen, you're in it, man. Uh, let's just start You know, from the very beginning. Sure. You went to Robert Morris University?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah? Yes, okay. Well, what
1: What did you study there? So uh, at Robert Morris University, I I I went in and I studied uh, TV video production um, with a focus in media arts. And uh, actually, I, I caught the film bug. Um, prior to that, I actually caught the film bug in high school. So I don't know if, if your high school had a TV station and all, but mine, mine did. And, uh, we had to do the morning announcements and that was my first exposure to filmmaking. And it's kind of been downhill ever since. Um, <laughs> but no, it was, it was something where I, have always been involved with the arts and painting, sculpture, drawing, And when I got exposed to filmmaking, it was like, oh, it's like takes all of that and rolls it up into one medium. So I knew that this was something that I wanted to to kind of commit my life to and have been fortunate enough to to do that. But, yeah.
0: You know, my high school, we we would have been lucky to have a parking lot, (laughs) let alone (laughs) the TV station. (laughs) But it's all good. You know, there's actually one thing that I know Robert, Robert Morris University for. Yeah, and it's so uh, feels like a decade ago, mm. could be more, could be less, but they upset the University of Kentucky in men's basketball.
1: Yeah, we. And I
0: think that. it was in a prominent tournament. I, they probably talk about that a lot. I, um, I
1: mean, when I was there, so I was there in oh six, and I graduated uh in uh, I think it was in, in ten or eleven. So this was right at the time when we really were were just starting to really like be good in basketball. Um, I, I, you know, I, I really don't follow sports to be perfectly honest with you, but like Robert Morris was known really for, for one thing in the sports realm prior to that. And that was hockey. Our hockey team was, was like one of the best in the region. And right around that time, that's when it started to shift more towards basketball. Whereas now they actually, I think they disbanded the hockey team, which pissed off a lot of alumni,
0: um, whoa, like yeah. you're, you're around Pittsburgh. Okay. Yeah. That's a, it almost seems like a sacrilegious moment. It,
1: well, I mean, Pittsburgh is, is a weird town. Have you ever been here? Never. Okay. So Pittsburgh's a weird town. We're, we're mostly a, a football town. That's really what we're known for. It's, it's, you know, the Steelers. Everyone knows that. Sure. Uh, pirates, uh, we lose all the time. So we're known for uh, a beautiful stadium that has really good food. Um, I can't say a good sports team because they're terrible. Um, But they always get good once they get traded. Like, that's kind of what ends up happening, you know? We're kind (laughs) of like the farm team for every other, you know, team in in the MLB. Um, But... You know, I shouldn't
0: say it, but I'm going to uh, – we actually used to joke that the the Pirates were going to get sent down to AAA like they do in soccer you know, they <laughs> relegate them to a lower – but, you know, I've got a, a soft spot for Pittsburgh, yeah. the Pirates, that is. So I'm not yeah. going to say too much about it. And we've got some really good friends, Cody Patanko and David Stegen. Um, those those guys, uh, you know, we, we cover our baseball with yeah. – uh, you know, on the other half of slasher sports, and those guys have come on and been like some of the most gracious guests – never ever say a bad thing about Pittsburgh not for very long anyway right so. but
1: but to get my, my point like the hockey thing has been only a, a relatively recent thing that that's really you know kind of made its mark on Pittsburgh um, so and Robert Morris was, was really they had really good relationship with the Penguins and it was really bizarre when the, the president of RMU or I believe it's the outgoing president of RMU decided to like cut it And we're just like, why? And to their credit, they're like, well, you know, we're getting more money from the basketball team and everything that goes with it. And, you know, that's where the focus is now at, Um, which I was like, okay, we just pissed off all your alumni who are going to give you money for these sorts of things. So good luck with that. Um, But, but yeah, like that's, that's pretty much what my exposure was the sports side of, of Robert Morris. But you know, while I was there, I did, did, do t- television video there. I hosted and produced my own TV TV show that I kind of think of as like the proto version of my podcast. And okay. It, and this it is was, RMU TV. This is on RMU TV. And it actually went out to the entire moon township area. Cause that's where Rob Morris is, is based out of. Uh, and it was great. And it was fun. I even did like the news and a little bit of the sports center, which we, they called colonial sports center. Um, so, it, you know, I got exposed to all of these little facets of television broadcast. And the one thing, though, that, that wasn't really prominent at the time was actual filmmaking, um, which is funny because now it's kind of flipped. Where if you go to Robert Morris now, you're getting more of the filmmaking side, the art side, and less of the broadcast side, which is interesting. That is interesting, yeah. uh,
0: but you worked your way through the ranks there at RMU TV. Right? I did.
1: I did. I kind of, we were required to take TV video hours when we were there. So we had to, to kind of be a PA and, you know, you do that for a little bit and then someone would say, Oh wow, you're really good. Do you want to jump on to, do, you know, graphics? So you do some graphics work or they might say, Hey, you want to run your own show? And you're like, yeah, sure. Why not? So, you know, I, I kind of started in that in in doing the the news and um, a friend of mine uh, at the time wanted to do a movie review show and so I had I was like oh okay well I know about movies <laughs> and so they were like well you can be the host of it so I, I came up with this persona um, called Johann Blitzkrieg which is a crazy German film reviewer film critique uh, and. You know, we would, the whole idea behind the show was that we would uh, critique student work. So, you know, in our film classes, we would work on these things, but they would never get shown. So we're like, well, here's a platform that we could show. And this was right at the time that YouTube was really becoming a thing. So, you know, it's not like we'll just post a thing on YouTube and you're good to go. It's like, no, no, no. It, YouTube still is very, very early stage. So we really were providing a platform for the, the students at RMU. They give us their work. We play it. We talk about it. And also have like skits and comedy, you know, weaved in between it. Um, my younger brother went to RMU at the same time as I did. We were in the same major, which is very fun, by the way. Um, and, you know, he was also in it too and, and kind of came with his own character. So it was really fun and a nice, like, creative exercise in creating content that grabs your audience. And that's something that anyone who's involved in filmmaking. That's what you want to do, you
0: know. You want to grab your audience, bring them in. And was Prime Cuts Theater something that yeah, was, that was uh, involved in this? That was it.
1: That was the that was the show.
0: Prime that Cuts was the show. Was the okay. Show. Yep. And at what point did you decide you wanted to dedicate to short films? Because that's a, a large portion of your uh, your yeah. resume.
1: Yeah. So short films, it's it's more or less a matter of the the business of filmmaking is very expensive, and it's something where as anyone who's who's doing this medium it's very difficult to kind of come up with the money to do a feature and i i still have yet to do a narrative feature i've done a documentary feature um which is a lot easier to do um but doing a narrative feature where you actually you you write a script and you cast actors and you go out and film the thing and you get locations it's very expensive so shorts are a nice way of testing the waters and that's kind of what I've done on top of that for me personally a lot of the shorts that I made were shorts for uh, something else so you know a lot of them were shorts that I made for a group called uh, the atrocity exhibition and it's what my documentary was about but this was a 360 degree art exhibition that uh, happened for 10 years and I was fortunate enough to be the lead video designer for that exhibition. So basically my job was to take the theme and this, this art exhibition was filled with people who were doing burlesque sideshow, um, a lot of really dark, bizarre stuff, very heavy in like the underground goth scene in Pittsburgh. Um, And they also brought in a lot of vendors who would, you know, base sell their artwork. So I got to know a lot of the people involved in that and they saw that I was involved in film And that was kind of my first experience working with a client and really creating something that was creative, that was centered around an idea that I didn't necessarily have to originate the idea from. I was usually given whatever the theme was for that particular year and had pretty much free reign to take that theme and run with it to the point where a lot of my later short films, the more recent ones, really were (laughs) self-contained films in in their own right like you could take them outside of the uh art exhibition and watch them on your own and you'd be like oh wow this is a story here so that that's kind of what what i've done um always working my way up to like eventually we're gonna make the feature um and actually during the the beginning days of the pandemic i like a lot of people was like well i can't go into work because you know the world's on fire um, right. so what am I going to do? And I told my wife, I'm like, you know, I've always wanted to write a feature length script. So I took what was a short film that I made for the atrocity exhibition, the last year of it and wrote a feature version of it. Um, so that's kind of where, where I'm thinking the next thing is going to be is, is trying to turn that into uh, a full length, uh, feature length version of one of those short films.
0: And do you feel that, Maybe creating a feature length film is kind of a graduation from short film creation yes. or yeah yeah and and yeah. so probably because like you've taken elements and now well, you can
1: it it's something that you know a short film is good for two things one, it's good for um, testing the waters of something that is not is gonna cost money, okay. So in filmmaking, every, t- every minute that you're on set is costing money, be it the amount of money that you have to pay for craft services, the amount of money you have to pay in, in the rental of gear. Because contrary to what most people think, not everyone's buying gear when they're making a short – making a film. Um, sure. Oftentimes they're renting it. So you're literally – it really is the idea of time is money. And, and you're literally burning that money every minute that you're on set and you're not getting what you need. So if there's – for whatever reason, let's say there's a, a really cool effect that I want to try or there's some gag or some some weird technique that I've seen and like I'm like, oh, this would be cool to try out. Try to do that on a feature without testing it and not really knowing if it's going to work or not is kind of dangerous. And that's where a short film really works is that you can test the waters with that effect or with that type of – or even just honing your, your ability to tell a story. That's really good testing ground. You're not going to make a career at that though. And that's the thing is that short films really aren't for that. The other side of the coin is that short films are really good for getting your name out there for, you know, one putting together a reel that can get you work in the film industry. If you're an editor and you want to edit movies or edit anything, you have that reel of short films, even if they're like, Hey, you know what? This played at some, you know, uh, uh, you know, film festival that's, you know, uh, down the street, but Hey, you know what? It's something. And you put that in the reel and now it gets you work that way. The other thing it does is that if you are looking for investors, if you're looking for people and you are like, Hey, I want to make a feature version of this short film. Well, you've got something you can actually show them. You're not just going in there with an elevator pitch. Like imagine that it's, you know, batman but you know he is a zombie like you could say well actually no here's the link to the movie i made a short version of it i like to expand upon it into a feature you have something you can actually show so that's where i see the value in short films
0: i also see value in short films and i think that i don't really have any data to back this up but i do feel like short films might be good for the current generation of viewer because we know that you know that they kind of seek that instant gratification. Right? It's,
1: yeah. Yeah. And and it's it is one of the things that I, I think short films if if you go into the short film knowing that you're making a short film, it's almost like you want to take that short film and you actually want to break it apart into micro shorts almost. You know, because that's where especially if you're targeting like TikTok or Instagram and you want to make something along those those realms, yeah. Taking that short film and breaking it apart, I also think that's why the the rise of you know marquee television is 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 because of the the shorts. Like you think about it, you know we're used to watching a movie that's two hours long, but now we can in essence watch a forty five minute long episode of something, and you've got ten of those. You know, so it's stretching out the narrative a bit, kind of like a short would be. Um, but but yeah, I, I think that this generation, their attention span is measured in nanoseconds. So you kind of have to get to the point um, you do with the short.
0: But there were some really good short films that I've watched over the, the past year. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one called Ferdita, uh, which is uh, the, the short film for the new uh, feature link. Uh, Piggy. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, uh was basically the cold open of piggy. Right. And different actors cause they did reshoot everything. Um, because you know, the, uh, I guess the antagonist shows up for the rest of the film and they don't have the same actor. So they, they do. I, I almost
1: got a chance to see piggy at eerie horror fest and cause it was playing there. And I think it won, won I think one won best feature at that um but it was playing right behind us as we were recording one of our episodes so i but i i've heard only good things about it
0: yeah definitely if you can check it out check it out yeah. uh and if not uh ferdita is the is the short cold open yeah. um you know for all intents and purposes so tell me did you um did you have a mentor or a few mentors in certain areas of film
1: yeah, I mean I I had a couple mentors um when I was at Robert Morris Tele TV um the uh he was the the station manager his name was Michael Delaro. He was kind of our our mentor at least when it came to creating the content. He liked the humor that we brought to it which we we like to think that Prime Cuts Theater was the redheaded stepchild of RMU TV because it absolutely was. Um, We were brash. We were uh, not really broadcast ready. And we played always at 11 o'clock at night. Um, But he got it and he he appreciated the humor and he supported us all the time. Um, A couple other professors I had there. I had this amazing screenwriting teacher. Um, Her name is Melissa Martin. She's directed a number of films in her own right. Her most one of her most. Famous ones is a movie called The Bread My Sweet. It's also called A Wedding for Bella. And I learned so much about creating a story from her um, when I took her class. And it, it still has always stuck with me today. Whenever I craft a script, I kind of have her in my head talking to me about, you know, this is what the character means. Um, and the final person that really, you know, for me was kind of a mentor was uh, is, is a professor named Tony Buba. And Tony. He's kind of uh, um, a living legend in Pittsburgh, especially the Braddock area. So Tony was, if you've seen Dawn of the Dead, he was the sound mixer for uh, George Romero in that film. He, his brother Pasquale, who unfortunately passed away a number of years ago, was the editor for uh, Dawn of the Dead and a number of films in his own right. I think he edited Heat um, with Val Kilmer and uh, Robert De Niro. But, uh, Tony was also featured in the movie as the uh, Mexican biker who puts his arm in the uh, like uh, heart check, like the, the blood pressure thing. Yeah. He was that guy. (laughs) And, and he was someone who really like taught me a lot about the importance of, of structure in a film and the importance of editing and even just camera work. But, you know, and it's funny, is like I, I talked to him recently, like I think it was it was late last year, and he still got it. Like he's older, but he's still sharp as attack. Um, he also is a, a accomplished documentarian, um, award winning documentarian. His most famous work has been a movie he made uh, in the eighties called Lightning Over Braddock, which is about the downfall of the community of Bar- Braddock in, in Pennsylvania. And just how all the steel mills kind of dried up and pretty much the town is pretty much languished. Um, so he he's, he's kind of been a big mentor to me.
0: Wow. So I guess a lot of people who want to get into film. Yeah. Uh, they just don't have a clue where to begin. Uh, a good friend of mine, his name is Ben Johnson. He uh, he's made it his mission to show, show people that, if you're thinking you have to be in a clique, you have to be highly educated or plugged into some social pipelines with some some high up people to make a film, you're wrong. And it can sound like a, a trite bit of lip service, but I mean, I believe him. Um, you know, to the person who isn't plugged in, uh, would you suggest bite-sized goals maybe, like maybe writing a short story? What would you uh, suggest to the beginner?
1: Well, first of all, I mean, where you're at now, is a lot easier to get into filmmaking than it was when i started because you have this thing called a cell phone and it's in your pocket and it's without a doubt and it sounds cliche but it's true um it's without a doubt the best camera that you've got at your disposal if you have no money because um, just about everyone has a cell phone you know uh and even like the the, the shitty ones that you get that maybe are, are like you know you, you pay monthly and there's no contract. Even those have fairly decent cameras. So I, I, I really say this, you know, write up a one-page story. Doesn't have to be great. And just go out there and film a thing. You know, I got started with literally a handy cam and my brother's in my backyard. We shot one of the first things I ever shot uh, when I was in high school was a lightsaber battle. And there's no story about it. It was just called, I had these plastic lightsabers. I wanted my, I wanted to film it and I wanted to practice a visual effect. So we filmed the thing. The lights were terrible because there were no lights. There was no sound because there was no sound. So, you know, just go out and shoot the damn thing. And what you're going to find is if you do this enough, you will start to see what works and what doesn't work. What is a mistake and what isn't a mistake. And if you take those lessons and you start building upon them and building upon them and building upon them, eventually you're going to get to the point where your movies are going to have that, you know, that, that sheen to it that we think of when we think of a movie. And you might say, well, Brian, I don't have the time for that. Well, I would argue that you, you do the, the time that you maybe would spend watching a TV show, playing video games, going on the internet, scrolling through social media, that's time that you could devote to your craft. That's time you could devote to bettering yourself. Maybe instead of scrolling on TikTok, and again, this is sounding like the old man, uh, you know, <laughs> yelling at the sky here. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe instead of spending time on TikTok, you watch a YouTube video about how to do visual effects or you watch a YouTube video on how to edit. Okay, that's what I do. And I I I get my wife continuously says, "You're kind of a nerd cuz you spend your time watching YouTube videos." about different visual effects. Cause that's, that's in, in the, the, the different facets of filmmaking, visual effects and motion graphics and editing is where my, my brain goes. Like as much as I love production and love directing, I, I want, I make my living. And then on top of that, like it's, it's something I teach is visual effects in, in post-production. So, but I, I would tell anyone who's getting started, just make the thing, even if it's crap, Even if you're like, I don't want anyone to ever see this, make the thing, put it online and see what people say about it. And yeah, you're going to have some jackass who says, this is garbage. Okay, fine. Who cares? Laugh Um,
0: at them and move on. Laugh
1: at them and move on because you keep doing that and eventually you're going to start to see what works. And I would also tell, tell someone, if you want to make movies, watch them, watch movies. I one time got laughed at by a student who I, I he wasn't someone I was teaching, um, but he was someone who was in like a cohort. And he's like, Oh, I, I could never be a director. And I'm like, Why not? He's like, Well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be a director. I don't ever, I could never direct. I'm like, do you watch movies? Yeah. Then you're a director. Like, it, it sounds ridiculous, but it's like half of the knowledge that you get for making films is from watching it because when you watch things and you watch scenes, you're going to know what works, what doesn't work, what connects to you and just try to replicate that, you know? I think you're muted. There you Can go. you
0: remember the first project you finished when you felt like you really did something?
1: when I, when I made something like really good or like the first project that I I made that I was like, the "Eh, first that you were proud of. Oh, the first I was proud of that was not really good looking back. (laughs) Okay. I'll go with that one. (laughs) So, so I don't know if your high school had this, but we had this thing called the senior project. We had this thing called the senior project, which was evil incarnate. And I, I, I don't think they actually do it anymore, but it was required that we had to do a project and a paper, to graduate. So you couldn't graduate unless you did the stupid project. Um, okay. And, you know, I'd already caught the film bug from work at the TV station in high school. And so I was like, well, you know, I, I have a belief in, in the paranormal. So I wanted to make a short film about how Hollywood views paranormal. So I made the script and I, I literally spent like months writing the script. It was pure garbage, but I still did it. I literally did it in study hall. Every time I was in study hall, it was right in the script. We got with friends, got my crappy handy cam and we got some work lights and we made this movie and it was, and I edited the thing all in iMovie. And this was like iMovie in 2004. Okay. And I was so proud of it because we had done some terrible visual effects, terrible makeup. The story made no sense. But it was a start to finish movie, you know. It had a beginning, it had a middle, and it had an end. Was it great? No, but I played the thing in every class that I I had because after we showed the film and for the senior project, I got the tape and I was able. I was like, I'm gonna go to art class and gonna play the movie. And no one else had seen, had had done a movie in the high school that I went to. No one had done that before as their project. So I kind of broke a new ground in that. And yeah, I had some jackasses. Um, who were like, this movie's crap. But then I had also other people like, oh man, that's so cool. So, like, that was the first moment that I got as a filmmaker where I felt proud of the work I had spent. Like, I had spent months working on this thing. And is it great? No. But it was my first film. It was my first exposure to having audience feedback. And I, I, it, it's still like the benchmark for me getting that feeling of, of showcasing your work that you spend a lot of time on, that really kind of sells it for me and why I do what I do. You
0: know, I really get um, bad cases of writer's block. Yeah. Um, do you have any advice for somebody who might be struggling to create, whether it be writing, producing, podcasting, or whatever their creative outlet is?
1: Yeah, so I, I ran into the same problem. I mentioned earlier that that during the pandemic, the beginning days of it, I, I decided I wanted to write a feature length screenplay. And, you know, I was not sure how I wanted to take the film. Um, so the, the short film it's, it's called uh, the autumn people. And it, you know it is available in, in, in my, my portfolio. They sent you and uh, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to, to take it into a feature, but I was like, do I go serious? Do I go in the comedic route? Uh, and I struggle with it. And I kept going back and forth. I'm like, well, if it's a serious side, like that's what modern horror is now. But if it's comedy, you know, it's not really, you know, that that's not really where where my head's at. And so like I literally was driving to the grocery store one day. Okay. And as soon as I was driving to the grocery store on the way there, and this there were talking like maybe like three minutes away, while I was driving, it hit me. I'm like, lean into it so i i leaned into the fact that this movie is basically hellraiser combined with night of the demons like and once that hit the floodgates were open the minute i i admitted that like this is what it is all the ideas started flooding so my advice to anyone who's struggling is to kind of take a break from it. Like, I think part of the problem I was having was I was trying to fit it into a box that I don't think the, 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 the concept was going to be. And I was overthinking it. And I was trying to will the idea out of my head. And, that, and trying to will the idea out of your head is kind of what creates that writer's block. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, take a step back. You know, for me it was driving to the grocery store and you know, just kind of wait for the the idea to hit. And it's it sounds frustrating, you're like, well, I can't make it happen. It's like, no, not really. And the thing too, I, I will say is the experiences we have in our lives, that shapes our creativity. So if you are finding that you are struggling to kind of come up with an idea, take a break. Do something that is unrelated to the task of writing something or making something, or doing your podcast, or whatever. Take a break from it, find something else to do. Maybe it's reading a book, maybe it's watching a movie, maybe it's just playing a video game, doing something else to take your mind off the task, and eventually you're going to have the aha moment. It's going to hit you in the back of your brain, and you're going to be like, oh God, why did I not think of this before? Because as soon as I did that, I'm not kidding you, it was like, we're off to the races. Like, everything Hmm. kind of came clear.
0: So, tell me about your podcast
1: and about uh, your co-hosts. So, my podcast is called The Simpsycho Psycho Show, and I created it in 2016. And really, at the time that I created it, um, I, I needed to have a creative outlet. So, prior to uh, the pandemic, <laughs> everything goes back to the pandemic. Uh, prior to the pandemic, I was working a job that was not creatively fulfilling in the least bit. I was doing a, a, events A.V., um so i was not doing anything in the film medium i was still doing film like kind of you know here and there um but nothing that was necessarily you know scratching the creative itch so i had done a little bit of experimentation with audio um a year prior with a, a former uh partner of mine his name was john daggers and we were did a show called Dagger Vision Films Horror Talk Radio. And that got me kind of exposed to the idea of podcasting, but it was more live audio. It wasn't necessarily pre-recorded like this is. And so I wanted to find something to kind of fit the creative niche that I needed. And I was like, well, why don't I just talk about movies? But instead of talk about horror movies, talk about all types of movies. And so I had got my master's at Chatham university and I met uh, a number of people uh, while there that I still talk to. Um, specifically John Wilscroft and uh, Lane Wilson. And uh, at the time they were married, unfortunately, now they're not. But um, we kind of came together, and I wanted to bring them on as co-hosts. And I wanted to get their comedy, because they, they literally were some of the funniest people that I've ever met. And I, also some of the smartest people when it came to film. And so the the idea behind the podcast was that it was going to be a mixture between vulgar comedy, because our show is extremely explicit, um, coupled with some really smart film critique. Like we will at one moment go from talking about, uh, let's say here, uh, we were just talking most recently about Hellraiser Revelations and how terrible that movie is and how there's weird, creepy, incest vibes in it. And we'll talk about that, but then also talk about, you know, the importance of the exorcist and kind of how the exorcist was a, uh, you know, backlash against conservative ideology when it came to religion. So, like, we'll go back and forth on those sorts of things. And, and that's just kind of how we roll. And there really weren't a whole lot of podcasts at the time that did that. Now there's more of them. Um, Smodcast was kind of the, the big one. Kevin Smith Smodcast was the big one that was doing that. So we kind of just did it, and we've been at it since then. You know, we're at two hundred and nearly fifty episodes. Um, we've done some live shows. We've part. We met a lot of people. I've met the the cast of Troll Two. I've met Greg. Well, my my co has met Greg Sestero. Um, but you know, from the ring, the room. Excuse me. Um, you know, we've met a lot of people and gotten a lot of opportunities within the film industry because of the podcast. And and for me, the biggest thing is is my day job now is partially a result of my podcast. I work for a company called Libsyn, uh, are a podcast distribution company, and you know part of getting the job was because I was familiar with the hosting because my show hosts with them, so it it kind of ended up becoming full circle there.
0: Amazing, yeah. Like, I actually listened to. I listened to the the Hellraiser episode, but yeah. the most recent episode I heard was the on Craven's Scream. Yeah, that was a fun so one. It it was. Who was the person giving off all the the harsh reviews of Scream? That was me. That was you. Okay. <laughs> At the time, I didn't know voices. No, so, it was me. Like, that was totally me. Let me just say, I I concur.
1: <laughs> okay. I'm a,
0: only yeah. I'm only a fan of the first one.
1: The first one has softened on me a, a little bit as I've gotten older, um, but I, as I mentioned in that episode, you know what was funny, I didn't mention this in, in the, the review we did, so uh, a day later, we got to interview um, the cast of Children of the Corn, and the actor who plays Malachi was listening. To us, review because we were recording. We did a, like a batch recording at the Erie Horror Fest, and they were guests there. So he's listening to our our review, and he almost crashed our our recording. And he literally says, "Like I would have wanted to come in and jump in the recording." I'm like, "Why didn't you? You're Why more than did welcome to." And he told me that he agreed wholeheartedly with my opinion, and his opinion was that just that, you know, Scream really marked the commercialization of a horror beyond what it was before. You know, no one is going to say that that the horror movie hasn't been a cash grab. It absolutely is. But it, it, it up to the level where it was now a matter of, well, let's not worry about telling a good story. How much money can we make off of this thing? Yeah. Now it's on the
0: Walmart shelves. Yes. The theoretical. So,
1: and then of course you attract the venture capitalist who doesn't know a fucking thing about how to make a movie and it's now a matter of, well, this venture capitalist in New York is back in the film, so whatever you can do to make the movie quick and cheap and get that out of the door, that's where it is. And I really think The Scream kind of marked that that turn. And it also – and this was something that Courtney Gaines, who was the actor who played Malachi, mentioned. He's like, the movies in the 80s, they were all made by independent studios, every single one of them. Yeah, you know? They were distributed by the big ones, but they were produced – by smaller indie studios, and Scream was was I mean you could say Dimension Films was smaller, but not really. Um, they're more of less a, a mini major, if anything. Um, yeah, but yeah, they, no, I, they, I, they I, were I was, an indie. That was my thing about Scream was that it just it marked a death of that spark that the eighties horror films and even the early nineties had going for it.
0: And that's not even the full reason that. I don't like the series as much. I, again, I do like the first one yeah. for what it is. But I get lightly offended when people put Ghostface on the elite movie killers list. No. Because, first of all, how can Ghostface be elite if it's never the same person? It's never the same person. And on top of that, um, gets the I, I, shit kicked out of him it, every he, gets, he him. Yeah, all he
1: does is he gets beaten up by somebody. And keeps yeah. coming back, and it's like
0: it's it's a slapstick type of chase down, and I'm, I'm not a fan of it. And I'm fine. There's not another slapstick uh, killer, and I'm fine with there being one, but it's not the same person. Like when you say, "Hey, who would win between Michael and Ghostface? Well, what was uh, Ghostface? You talking really- about the the, the little <laughs> tiny lady? A little tiny gal from Part 5? Uh, come on, man. Yeah. Give me a break. Which Which there's, one are we talking about here? Yeah, there's no... Even at your most deranged, Billy Loomis. Well, my, my co-host a... pulled
1: it off. My co-host, John, pulled, mentioned it perfectly. He's like, there are some major league plot holes in Scream. Like, he brought up how Henry Winkler gets killed, and then in the same day is hung on the flagpole. Not the flagpole, but the, the, the fo- football, like, posts. There's no way in hell that that would happen in broad daylight. No, by
0: two people. By not two possible. people. No, you you're not hanging a man on the goalpost. No, especially no. not the Fonz. No, okay? well, no,
1: no. It, but it's just it's it's a re- I, I, I appreciate it for reviving the slasher. I'll give it that. I don't appreciate that the, its trajectory led us to a commercialized horror film genre that we're still dealing with. You know, I mentioned yeah. this in that, that podcast episode. I said, you know, modern horror kind of takes its root from scream. It just does. You know, you had, yeah. After that, you had the revival, the slashers that led to the found footage, because again, we can make it cheap and we can get it out there and we can make money off of it. Um, which then led to the remakes of Japanese horror films and the torture porn and, you know, we're still dealing with it. So I, I have hope, and I mentioned this at the end of that episode, that I have hope that, you know, the Jordan Peeles <laughs> uh, of, of the industry now are pushing us in a way where we're moving back towards original films that put story first above profits. You know, I really love his work. I I really hate Blumhouse, but I really love his work, uh, specifically.
0: So how did you break through the discovery problem, other podcasts face? Because podcasting for so many is like better off being considered a labor of love because so many just don't get discovered.
1: I mean, honestly, I still struggle with it. I'm not going to lie and tell you that I, I've, 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 uh, broken through because I I really haven't. I mean, the thing is, is that we keep doing it and, you know, I look at our numbers and are we getting as much as say film spotting is? No. Do I care a little bit, but not really enough to stop doing it. Um, Right.
0: It doesn't make you stop.
1: No. And, And it was, it was something where, you know, if we don't put an episode, you know, for a week, I'll see numbers drop. You know, the other thing too, is that when I started the podcast, I was single and I have one cat and that was it, you know, since then I'm married, I have one daughter and 3 stepsons, and I work full-time and I also teach, you know, two nights a week. So a lot has changed in those couple of years from 2016 to now. So, you know, I've had to adjust to that and I've had to make it work for my life. So life sometimes happens, you know, this past year, you know, we weren't putting out nearly as many episodes as we were. Um, but we're still doing it. We're still plugging along because the way I look at it is podcasting is it's a numbers game and it's a longevity game. You know, there are a lot of dead podcasts out there that maybe only had one episode or two episodes. Yeah. Okay. My podcast, we're coming up on 250 and I'm still going and I plan on continue to still go. So, you know, whether or not, you know, I get get, you know, more view, more listens. I don't know. I'm not making money off of mine. I don't have sponsors. Um, I've toured with the idea of doing membership stuff, but at the same time, that's a lot of work. And I don't want to be that guy who puts out a membership that then is not able to deliver, you know, value. I want to deliver value to someone who's given me money to support doing my thing. So it's one of those things that I just keep plugging away. I pick movies that I like um, or that my co-host likes. My co-host is actually a lot of times in charge of what our con- our content is. Um, but, you know, for me the the big thing that I'm doing is, is coming on shows like this. You know, trying to do outreach with, with common shows that we care to the same audience and, and my hope is that we can support each other. So that's that's how I'm trying to break through uh, the, the, the noise is Really just, you know, trying to make networks, relationships with people and just keep doing it, you know?
0: That's it. You know, and I take a lot of my mentality from professional wrestling of all things. Yeah. You you put your friends over and they're going to put you over. Yeah. And if you don't have friends to put over, find a friend to put over Yeah. and they'll put you over. Totally. That's the name of the game. That is the name of the game. Before we get out of here, you want to tell everybody where they can find you on your socials? And your work, yes, yes. So, um,
1: my work, I'll, I'll give you the link because unfortunately, it's one of these Adobe portfolio sites, but I'll be more than happy to give you a link to it. Um, but my podcast, Cinema Psycho Show, we are available wherever you listen to audio. So, if you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, wherever, just type in the Cinema Psychos Show and we'll be there. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, uh, at Psycho Show, so at Psycho Show, I've tried experimenting with TikTok. I'm not sure how I'm doing. So, (laughs) if you are doing great, I don't. Do you actually see some of my TikToks?
0: I did. I'm sorry. Plugging away. (laughs) Keep plugging away. I, I do feel violated. I do feel violated. Okay, and, good. And we'll t- we'll talk about compensation later. But <laughs> but continue. <laughs> but
1: but basically, yeah. I, at at if you go to uh, at Cinema Psycho show on TikTok, you'll find a TikTok account. Again, I'm not sure how I'm doing with this thing. I'm a 37 year old neckbeard man who's bald and just trying it. I figured why not give it a shot. Uh, but that's where you can find me at. Um, and also I mentioned this before. I work for a company called Lipson. So if you go to Lipson's YouTube channel, you can find me talking about podcasting stuff. I do that every once in a while because I'm producing those videos.
0: Check out the episode bio for the links to Brian's work. And thank you, Brian, for coming on to share your wisdom. It's uh, certainly a pleasure. And uh, coming up soon. Yeah, I mean, coming up soon, we're going to be running down the classic 80s horror flick Night of the Comet with Brian. So don't miss that. But until then, I hope you all may drink the blood of your enemies from the skulls of their children.